Hello, and welcome to today's episode. Uh, we are going to be talking today about analysis paralysis. I am joined by Senator Berg. Mm, thank you, Colonel Howden. Welcome back to Fitness or Fiction, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the hype of the health and fitness industry. Every week, we dig into a new topic and help you wade through the real information to make solid decisions on your fitness journey. So, tell me why you wanted to do this episode, Eric. So, paralysis, analysis, paralysis. This is something that you brought up to me a long time ago, and uh, it's something that sticks with me, and I often find myself repeating it to um, my clients. And it was a silly thing when you hit me with it. I don't know. Do you remember it or no? I don't know the exact instance. So, the instance was stupid, but I was managing uh, at the club, and you were the regional director, and I was stressing because, you know, there's a lot, like it was a matzo ball of tasks that we always had to do. And we was like, you could never leave work fully completed all your tasks. You always came back to more tasks being, and you just had to prioritize and figure out what needed to be done. And I was stressed and I was like, and you came in and you're like, Eric, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm stressed. And you're like, why? I'm like, I've got this, 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 this. And I can't get any of it done because there's so much of it to do. And I like, and I was just stuck. And you're like, well, what's bothering you the most right now? And I was like, the room back there, like it was a storage room full of crap that we needed to clean out and like clean up filing cabinets and files for the one time PFC room that became a, yeah, the consult room yeah. and stuff like that. And I was like, that room is driving me crazy, but I don't got time to fix it. And you're like, well, what are you doing right now? I'm like, I don't know. I'm talking to you. What do you mean? And you're like, okay, let's go do it. And then we just <laughs> did it like right on the point. And my brain was like, stop stupid solution just go do it yeah i can't curtis what do you think i've been venting to you about i saw your brain blowing bubbles in the toilet when i when i did that you're like <laughs> yeah and so that was probably like almost eight nine years ago but it stuck with me it was a lesson that i was like damn i was just over analyzing everything rather than just like picking something and executing it and just like working the list just like completely overwhelmed so i feel like a lot of people get paralyzed by overanalyzing their objectives. Yeah. So basically you're going to parlay that into the conversation about health and fitness, I would assume. Fitness. Fitness. Not yeah. fiction. Fitness whole pizza in my mouth? You could. I've seen you. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So it, it, it rolls into fitness though with a lot of people who want to, I find people want to like micro optimize parts of their like nutrition or their supplement or their recovery or their gym etiquette or protocols but they haven't even got the basic foundation set yet. They're worried about like, what's the best bicep exercise to do? I'm like, well, dude, are you even working out yet? Oh, and at what intensity? Like it almost even, like it does matter. What's it the does. best reps to hit or when but, should I have yeah, my protein? Are you working hard? Let's start there. This is, this is kind of the crux of coaching for me. Like there's a lot of answers that can work, but it's like, are you, are you putting in the base level of what you need? And that's what I think it comes down to this conversation. Like, there's a few realms that we need to talk about in this. And one of them is imposter syndrome. And imposter syndrome is something that people deal with all the time. It's something where they need to be stronger. They need to be smarter. They need to have more courses before they can do X, Y, or Z. It's like a, a perceived limitation to what they can accomplish right now. Mm -hmm. And imposter syndrome is hard because everybody deals with it, including myself. But stepping forward to do something, even if it's imperfect, is better than doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And... So imposter syndrome is, is a subsection of perfectionism. So like, I just want everything to be totally perfect. Yeah. It's like, well, that, that's not really 
for this world. It's not going to be perfect. And so that's a really tough thing. It really beats people up when they're like, oh, I can't do it till it's perfect. Yeah. And then, so I'm going to go off on a slightly different tangent back on to what I was saying is I feel like these micro optimizations that people do, they're looking for the quick hacks that will give them like, they're looking to do the the 0.5% that will give them the 25%. And I feel like that's where they also get caught up when with this uh, paralysis by analysis, because they're just analyzing things to look for the quick hack to make it as easy as possible, rather than just putting more effort in the, in the workout or on the set. So your thesis is that this fits in somewhere between perfectionism and laziness. It's tr- that's kind of what I'm hearing because it's like, well, what's the littlest thing that I can do for the, for the most outcome? Because well, what you're putting in the hard work would be crazy, right? I'm really expecting you to get us back on track with this one, but here's a quote that you may have heard of or may have not of. And it hit me in the balls because <laughs> it was said, Perfectionism is just procrastination masking around as quality control. Oh, I like it. And I was like, oh, my balls. (laughs) Well, see, so this is why I think what you said previously, it's, it's like there's this aspect to it where it's like I want everything to be perfect, but that can actually be serving a function of laziness Mm -hmm. where it's like, well, if it's not perfect, then I don't have to do anything right now. Yeah. (laughs) There's, there's some teeth to that. I think it, for me, this concept is really interesting because you see it all over online. It's like people get in front of their, their phone and they'll be like, just do it, man. Just do it now. And like, stop thinking about it. Just go do something. And I actually agree with that. I'm like, at some point it's just take action. But I think it's, I think it stands to reason that even though that's correct, that we can talk about how action doesn't need to be perfect. And in fact, most action is imperfect, if not all. Mm-hmm. because none of us are smart enough to see all the potential outcomes of an action. Mm-hmm. But what I've seen in my life and in my practice as a coach and, and athlete is that taking an action all in tends to lead you closer to the real answer. Yeah. And it's funny though, because even though you've identified that and it makes perfect clarity to me, people will still be like, well, if it only gets me 80% there. Why would I do it? I need to get 100% there. Yeah, well, and logically... It's an all-or-nothing mentality. I, I actually wonder how much of this is a discrepancy between somebody's emotions and thoughts. For example, if I were to ask you, why do you love Diane or Jax? Diane's got a cute butt, for sure. Is that why you love her, though? <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> yes, that's 100% the reason. Nail it, episode over. No. Uh, <laughs> it's really interesting because if somebody asks me why I love my kids or why I love my wife, it's really hard to put into words, right? You start saying all these things that aren't really true. It's all like small pieces though. Yeah, it's like, well, Sarah, you know, she's such a sweetheart and, you know, like watching the way that she cares for other people and like all of this stuff and it doesn't really capture everything that's there because it's a different part of the brain. Yeah. Your analytical part cannot explain the emotional part very well. Mm -hmm. And that stands to reason. I think that's a fair assertion to make. Mm -hmm. So when we start getting into analysis paralysis, in some ways, I think that we run into the same issue where it's like, well, I feel like I want to be in better shape, but the process of it is pretty challenging. And I want to make sure that everything that I'm doing is exactly right because I don't want to waste time, which Mm -hmm. also is a reasonable thing to say. But then we have to come back to this other side and eventually people are like, oh, I should just get started. And there's all this logic that makes sense to us, but they don't really feel it deep down. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if part of it is it is understanding like what's behind my goal to get that goal. When do I need to start? Well, any time previous to now is great, but now is, is probably the best time going forward. Yeah. 
So I wonder if it's this connection between like, what is the emotion of my goal that I'm trying to connect with and what is the, the logical aspect that's pulling me outside of just getting going. Just going back to the Simon Sinek, start with why? Well, I think it kind of has to because it seems to me like this, this whole thing, it's like, well, if it's somewhere between perfectionism and like taking the easiest possible action, if it's somewhere between there, and it's like, well, those are analytical things. How do we get outside of our analytical brain? We lean on emotion. Well, how do we identify our emotions? Talk about them. Say, I feel like this. I want to do better with this, blah, 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 blah. Once you, <laughs> blah, 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 like it doesn't matter. <laughs> Once you explain, here's all the underpinning reasons I'm doing this. All of a sudden, you're going to feel those emotions. And I think that's going to um, drive some movement. Tony Robbins likes to say emotion creates motion, right? Yeah. And that, I think that's totally true. But you know, it all comes back to these, these interesting conversations of like, when we get to the paradox of choice, this is like, it loops in what we've been talking about, but it starts getting into happiness research. And this guy, Barry Schwartz made a, made a quote one time talking about um, the paradox of choice. And it's been quoted a lot of times since, but essentially with the human brain, you would think more choices is better, but then you'll see in marketing that almost every company is going to select to have smaller amounts of choice. And a long time ago, like back in 2000, there's a, a psychologist named, um, I think it was uh, Sheena Langar, something like this. But they did, a, they did a study where they took jams. There was a table that had 24 different flavors of jam, which is like, well, bomb, that's a lot of choices. Yeah. And then there was a table that had six choices. And the table that had six choices sold 10 times as much consistently throughout the study. Hmm. And happiness researchers take this and look at it and they, what they start finding is that more choices actually leads to more anxiety and more discomfort. Mm. So when you see things like the Apple operating system that has less choices for customization, but you know what to expect and you can figure out how to live within it, yeah. um, it calms the brain. It has a calming effect. And I think in our world today, a lot of people have a lot of things on their mind. So simplifying things can be a big deal. So I think that's really where we start getting into, you know, what is the issue? Well, it's easy to talk about. It's, it's multi-layered, but the issue is where the heck do I get started? There's so many things. If I go online, I see everybody saying something different and whatever else. Yeah. Um, so it ends up being these kind of few steps that we can take because we know analysis paralysis is going to lead us to less creativity. It's going to stop action it's going to um, limit um, critical control centers of the brain. So then it really gets to the point of like, well, we know what we're talking about. So it, it basically causes stress and depression too, because you start to feel like there's no point and you can't do anything. You don't have the time, the resources. Totally. And then that goes into the nihilism topic you were talking about earlier. Well, yeah, we might need to podcast on the topic of nihilism one of these days, like everything is meaningless sort of conversation yeah. Uh, because it's easy to get there. And, and that position actually, there is some teeth to it. It's like, well, we're all going to die one day. So why try to be as healthy as I can? Mm -hmm. Right. So we can deal with that another time. That's a big topic that I actually really like talking about because it's optimism versus nihilism. But mm -hmm. the end of the day, if we know that more choices leads to less happiness and we know that it decreases our ability to execute the way that we normally could what are the things that we can do when we've recognized this for me one of the number one things obviously is to prioritize 
Okay. So prioritize or start to limit your options, start like knocking things off the plate, whether that's like you have to get a pen and paper down to actually, this is the thing too, is I think a lot of people when they get stuck in situations like this, analysis paralysis is they're analyzing all in their subconscious mind and they don't give it a lot of conscious like room to actually truly think about it. And to me, the most like optimized conscious time, I guess, is not just sitting there thinking about it, but it's putting like pen to paper or taking your laptop out and actually like list, like making a list for me anyway. So you can actually tangibly see it. So you can tangibly start removing things. That's giving it much more quality time rather than just letting it burn in your subconscious mind, because I think that's what gets people feeling more overwhelmed as overwhelmed as well. Yeah. The concrete steps forward, I think are huge. So like, recognition i think would be really high for me like once you realize that this is happening it's like what's the first thing i can do mm-hmm. it's like well let's let's put it out there and there's a there's a book by uh, what's his name you can't solve a problem if it doesn't Ugh. exist uh, ryan halliday i think the ryan, stoic uh yeah the yeah. daily stoic ryan holiday yeah well this is previous to that it's the obstacle is the way mm. So he talks about not allowing this to happen because you recognize it's happening. And once you've identified the problem, you can actually start talking about solutions. Don't want to hear about the problem anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a really good read. I really enjoyed that book. But, you know, when we start looking at this, it's like, okay, so if we're going to get through it, we have to recognize it's happened. And then we need to start prioritizing what needs to happen first. And I would like to add to, to your comment there, like when we're prioritizing, we should prioritize based on our personal goals and values because then it's like well that is something i can deal with later whereas this is a burning thing right now so i'm going to focus on that Mm -hmm. the other thing to discuss would be when you prioritize you can kind of figure out what the hardest stuff is and often if you they call it eating the frog first you can go through the most challenging task first you feel yourself picking up momentum it's also a little book super easy read good one eat the frog yeah Exactly. Yeah, doing the hardest thing first, or there's different strategies. Sometimes it's doing the easiest thing first so you can actually build some traction, feel good about yourself. If you can do three things in one day and bang them off the list, and you're like, oh man, I'm making traction. And then you can tackle a hard one. Well, and there's there's a lot of stuff about that. I actually think that that strategy, when you're first getting going, bears more weight. Mm-hmm. Like Dave Ramsey is a financial guy out of the States that. Um, I followed some of his principles with my wife early in our marriage to kind of move forward from our student debt and, and whatever else, but he calls it the debt snowball. He's like, start with the smallest one and knock that off. So, you know, you can win. And once you start feeling wins, you can go. And I really like that when I'm programming for people, it's like, okay, let's start with something that we know you'll do. And then we can build up from there because we're building confidence and self-efficacy. So as much as people talk about, you know, eat the frog and whatever else, when you're first getting started, you know, do one thing. Get that thing done. Get it off the list. And man, crossing something off the list. Dopamine. Oh, dopamine. (laughs) Yeah. It just feels great. So what are some other things you think we should do? Well, we got recognizing it and then we have prioritizing prioritizing it, setting a deadline, actually like having a time frame on when you need to actually execute something. For me, that was something big. We were falling behind on these podcasts and we had a bank built up because Jackson was born my son and... I was like, I all of a sudden had more excuses on why I couldn't get things done, right? Right. And so there was actually a day I just told you, I was like editing all the podcasts and doing all the audio work and uploading them and stuff. I did it all at night, probably at like 10 p.m. one night. And it took me maybe two hours. 
but I set myself a deadline. I took my monthly planner out and I said like this day, like I had a check mark beside and I said like, get all the podcasts uploaded and we're all like locked and ready. I think that night we gave Jackson a bath and like the night was slowing down and I was kind of like, ah, you know, maybe I could do these tomorrow and just, uh, do it another day because it's getting late and I decided like man I wrote it down for a reason like I wrote it down for a reason I wanted to get it done today for a reason I felt so much better once I popped those off I did it all did the dopamine check off like boom and I felt way better so just by the, the deadline for me <laughs> the deadline for me was like get it done today by the end of the day before you go to bed that's sick yeah well I think just just speaking into reality, this is when I want it done by, and placing focus on that allows you to do something. But, you know, when we talk about, like, we're prioritizing, we're recognizing the issue, we're breaking it into smaller tasks, like, all of this sort of stuff really makes a lot of sense. Um, it seems like common sense, but it's not common when you're caught in that whirlwind tornado oh man, in your brain. it's tough. Well, and that's where we come to the next one, which is outside opinions. And outside opinions are can be really important. Like when you were feeling that way, all I had to do was hear you out and be like, hey, what's one thing I can do with you right now that we can do before I leave? Yeah. It's like this. It's like, oh, let's go do it. We actually had a couple of people join in. Do you remember that? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, you and me were doing it and they're like, people were like, hey, what are you doing? Can I help? Yeah. And it ended up being like bang, 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 bang. Many yeah. hands makes like work. But what did I really do there? Like I showed empathy. I care about where you're at. And then I made a suggestion of something that I can do tangibly to to pull you out of the whirlwind, right? Yeah. And you're that classic picture of the boss where the boss has the whip and he's whipping all the people or the boss is in the front and he's like being like, charge. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I like that. <laughs> nice imagery. That's, that's beautiful. <laughs> I'm really, really good and talented at painting word pictures. That's good. That is good. I hope people can see them because it's nice. But, you know, when we're, when we're in the analysis paralysis thing, when we, when we talk about all of this stuff, it makes sense. Let's apply it to fitness a little bit. So we were going to apply it to gym, nutrition, and recovery specifically. Right. So three different segments. Um, when we start talking about these little steps that you can take, I would say, you know, what is the most important first thing we can do without being perfect? Like making imperfect action okay, um, what would you do for somebody first for fitness you've got all these all these different things once we recognize it and whatever else so let's say we've recognized it what is the next step that's going to be the most valuable when it comes to the exercise component to the gym component yeah hmm. we've definitely talked about this countless times off the top of my head i think just showing up which is hard but would you say that that's um small decisions along the way or setting a setting a deadline or what what action do you think that would fall under i guess more so you're trying to like guide me down the right like the right path here i think probably then prioritizing prioritizing exactly what needs to be done as part of the planning process before you actually just show up what? so identifying your why which we already discussed their emotional attachment to how they're feeling and then loop that into I normally loop it into like, we, we do this automatically when we periodize for clients, but we loop it into what their workouts are going to look like, what the nutrition should look like, what recovery looks like. But then normally I personally start with the gym and I'm like, let's not worry about nutrition just yet. Let's start just with trying to exercise and feel good because that's the task that's going to create the snowball effect. Do you think exercise or diet is more complex? Diet is more complex to me. 
there's a lot of people that would agree with you. There's, there's a few people that are like really high notable names and stuff like Pavel Satsulin. Um, he, he's a guy that's like really notable for bringing the kettlebell to, to the States. Yeah. Wasn't and, he the grease, the groove gentleman? Yes, he sure is. And he, he would talk about like some of the skills that they use with the Russian Spetsnaz and things like this. But when he was talking to Joe Rogan, he was like, well, at the end of the day, nutrition's super complex. I like, get exercise and you can get that to fall into place later. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel that way too. I do. I, I'm on that side of things, but I think that imperfect action, it's like, okay, I'm going to spend this amount of time exercising. The only thing you need to decide after that is, am I going to just do some cardio or am I going to do weights? Mm-hmm. My preference would be weights. If, if somebody has a Agreed. small amount of time, what would you do? I think that it would be really hard to find research that would say, well, just cardio is going to beat just weights as far as time in the gym. Well, and then when, to piggyback on the question you asked, like the gym is essentially, you know, like an hour out of that day, whereas nutrition can fall within the 24 hour period. So there's a totally. way bigger window to, uh, screw the pooch. <laughs> well, and if we're going to say, okay, let's, let's prioritize action. Let's do that. What's the best place for somebody to start weights. Cool. Let's go down that. Let's go down that little hatch a little bit further. What would you say, you know, people Google all the time, what are the 10 best exercises? Oh, yes. Like, okay, so the average person, let's say they're getting to the gym three times a week and they've got 30 minutes. What would you do? Snatches. Oh, damn. (laughs) (laughs) No. It really depends on the person. That's a pretty... uh... That's a pretty loaded question, but... Which is crazy because it's what people are searching on Google, like one of the most fitness searches ever. So you were looking for the answer of it depends. (laughs) It is just it depends. But if it were somebody that's listening to this and they're like, well, where should I get started? I'd be like, well, tell you what, pick two big moves and two small moves. Yeah, I like that. I normally, um, if I was trying to keep it basic and simple, I would say they should probably stick to the machines because they'll be cozy and they'll be comfortable. Totally. Um, and when it goes to those machines, I would probably pick three big moves depending on the workout split, but it would be like a leg, a push and a pull, like upper push, upper pull. Yeah. And then like pick, pick one or two small movements to do to finish it off. Yeah. See similar ish, different. Yeah. Like for me, if you've got, if you've got three days, it's like, well, I'm going to hit a leg machine. I'm going to do something that's like tough on my quads day one. And then on day two, I'm going to do something that's tough on my hamstrings. And, you know, you could do things like, um, I'm going to do a leg press. That's fine. It doesn't need to be a squat. It doesn't need to be something really crazy. Um, but let's say we're doing, like I said, too big and too small. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to do too big. So today I'm just going to do pressing. I'm going to do like leg press and then a bench press machine. And then I'm going to go ahead and, you know, my, my arms are a little bit tired from bench pressing. I'm going to finish off my triceps and do something for my core. Beautiful. Great. Yeah. Tell you what, how many reps or sets work until it's really hard. Make it so that it's hard to finish at least on your last set, if not the last couple, Mm -hmm. but like work until it is freaking work for you. Yeah. And if you started like that, you know, could you do just three for sure? What you said makes perfect sense too. Well, even, even the working until it's really hard, like you don't even need to start there. A lot of people would get too intimidated to start there. Some people can just go in and do three sets of 10 and get comfortable and then start the progressive overload train yeah just getting it just getting the reps in is a little bit more valuable than the effort at the start i think i think the effort component is the big matzo ball like at like that's going to provide the result but when you're just starting i don't think it needs to be there right off the hop well man when you're first getting going can you get there can you drag your butt there that's the that's the big question Mm -hmm. 
And then, you know, once you're there, if you want to optimize your time, then more challenging it is near the end, the better. Well, I I always talking to clients, you know, like, you know, you could work out for two hours at 60 to 70% effort, or you could work out for 45 minutes at 110% effort. The 45 minutes is going to yield a better result. That's statistically impossible, sir. (laughs) Nerd. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Like if you look at the research on um, interval training versus steady state, they don't say that interval training is just better. What they'll say is you can accomplish a similar result in less time. Yeah. So that's, that's actually like a, a, real, a well-balanced conversation around that topic without exercising a ton of bias. But if we go back well, on track a little bit here, we were talking about outside opinions. Oh, yeah. I think outside opinions can also be a negative one, though. Oh, yeah. Tell Have me, you heard tell of me the about term? it. Preach. Yeah, preach. I like to call this term, kids maybe turn it down or, you know, turn the volume down. There's a term that I call people an asshole. Somebody that asks. Okay, media will play softer. Siri, chill out, bro. Yeah. An asshole is somebody that just asks like, Oh, Curtis, well, you got big biceps, bro. What do you do for your biceps? Oh, hey, guy, you got big biceps. Oh, hey, guy, hey, you got big biceps. Oh, hey. And then proceeds to take no action but continues to just ask all these questions. Yeah, with, without action, the question is so... It's not just me. I, I've had countless people ask me, Oh, Eric, what do I got to do? How long do I got to train to look like you? I'm sure guys have asked you that too. And you know those guys are going to take that information and do nothing with it. Yeah, I'm sometimes actually like, I don't even want to talk about it or answer those questions because I'm like, man, you're not there. You're not in the headspace to do it. You're just being an asshole. You know what I say every mm-hmm. single time? What? What are you doing right now? <laughs> like, what do you mean? I'm like, no, what are you doing right now? Tell me what you're doing. What do you mean? Well, are you exercising right now? Well, like here or there. Okay, cool. You know what you do? You get consistent first. That's where you start. And they're like, uh, uh. <laughs> no, that's... back back in my day when I was eighteen, I used to look like you too. I used to bench three fifteen for reps, ten reps specifically. Oh man, yeah, I love hearing stuff like that. It always makes me laugh. But... So outside opinions can be good or bad, is what I'm trying to say. Well, and you need to think about the San Diego Zoo experiment. What's this? So they had a whole bunch of monkeys in a pen, and they had like this big pole with bananas that they put at the top. And then they were heartless. The monkeys would try to climb up the pole and they'd spray them off with a fire hose. Oh my God, that's cruel. (laughs) And then they just kept doing it and the monkeys were like, I'm messing with that. Don't go up that. Yeah, so they stopped trying. And then what they did was they started taking out, they started taking monkeys out of the pen and putting new monkeys in the pen. And the new monkeys would be like, bananas, let's go get them. (laughs) The, The fire hose was gone. They didn't know that though. Yeah. So all the monkeys that experienced that would like grab onto them and not let them go up the pole. Don't go. And then they kept changing over the monkeys until there was no monkeys that had ever experienced getting blown off of that pole and they'd still stop each other. Oh, weird. Yeah. So this is one of those things. People talk about crabs in the bucket. Like you try to lift one up and the other ones will grab on and and keep it down because they want to go with it. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. This is something that I've seen for sure when, when clients are making significant changes, it actually disrupts the person's heuristic or worldview of that person. So like I have a client named Stephanie, she's been back pain free for like three years and it was longer than a decade previous to that where she was just ruined with her back. 
But now she's pain-free. She does deadlifts and squats. She's getting strong. And she'll go to lift something and somebody will be like, oh, don't do that. You'll hurt your back. She's like, uh, no, no. And so it comes from a good place. They're, but I still get I've seen this with that. weight loss too. Like people start losing a bunch of weight and people are like, I don't know if that's healthy to be losing weight that fast. Like, and it's sad. Well, I'm not going to insinuate that it's coming from the, the place that it might be. I'm just going to say... We can say, though, that sometimes it is. Yeah, I'm just going to say the average person, <laughs> when things change, change can be hard. So, like, they're trying to rationalize and figure out how that, how that impacts what they thought of the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, getting back on track, that outside opinion can be dangerous. But getting into nutrition, it's, I think, where you'll run into that. You run into it in our culture with lifting weights. People are like, oh, that's going to fracture your growth plates. And we've, we've addressed that a ton. And it's a ridiculous thing, but people still talk about it. And then when we get into diet, um, somebody says, I'm keto. I'm like, okay, well, I've, I've done keto. I don't think it's super sustainable, but it can work. Like it'll help you limit calories so you're not in a calorie surplus anymore. I've seen it work. Is that something you're excited about? Does it work for you? Is it easy to set up? Sure, give it a try. But like when it comes to nutrition, I always think about things like, First, identify how much you're eating. If you're eating too much in total, you're not going to get where you want to get. So you got to figure out how much to eat. And then second step would be then figure out fat, protein, carbs. Where is it coming from? And we can deal with that and optimize that. And then the third thing would be the minutia, little details like supplementation and timing and things like this. And that's not the only way to go about it, but it's a, it's a system that works. And when it comes to like, what should I do with my diet? It's like, well, I think it's... I think it's a pretty easy conversation to say, identify how much you're eating. Like yeah. figure out, don't tell me you're eating healthy. Tell me how much you're eating. Cause like one date is different than 20 dates. Yeah. That's a lot of sugar. So identify how much you're eating versus how much you're moving. And then we can make decisions based on that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For nutrition, I think again, it kind of, this topic all boils down to me for like trying to avoid the life hacks that you think are just going to be like, easiest thing because if it was super easy everyone would be jacked everyone would be skinny and everyone would be beautiful and have the like the bodies that they want so taking the life hacks out of it um i think counting macros is a good strategy but for me normally what i do and i'm sure you've done this with clients as well i'm like okay well what's your average day of food look like what time do you wake up in the morning when's food touch your mouth and when does water touch your mouth and we just go through basic i'm like i don't portions are you know give me rough estimations on portions normally i'm just looking for the protein portion totally and normally i'll calculate it in the person i don't know about you but every client i do that with they typically getting less than 100 grams of protein per day that's That's pretty that's pretty standard correct in my experience standard and easy to identify that and then i'll ask them you know what do you think is the biggest bang for your buck that you can do to uh make an impact on your nutrition so that you can start losing weight well you know i think i'll cut out the double double i'm gonna go do a single single instead (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like all right well you know for me often it's increasing your protein intake. It's just the beginner starter thing. Like, so if you've already got the consistency down in your exercise in your gym life, it's normally like, let's try to increase the protein intake. And what's the easiest way to do that? Typically it's a protein shake or typically it's just eat breakfast because you don't. Well, eat a breakfast isn't all carbs. Do you know how hard it is to find a breakfast that's high protein and good? Mm-hmm. Like it's tough. I have back bacon because like five slices is 16 grams of protein. And then I have five eggs with it. You know what's actually not bad? I go to Costco and get that huge salmon and then smoke that in the barbecue and then just 
you'll get a lot of people. That's like a full full week of breakfast. The salmon costs like 30 to 40 bucks. But if you spread that out through seven days of breakfast, it's not bad. It's yeah. delicious. Yeah. Well, and it's, what you're talking about here is figuring out the easiest thing for that person to do, right? Yeah. Because I agree with you. Like the, the first thing that I make adjustments on for people is protein. It's like, oh man, you need more protein in your diet. Like how much are you eating in total? It's like, well... I'm having the right amount of calories. And I was like, well, yeah, but most of them are fat and sugar. Hmm. So in a lot of cases, people don't want to track. They're not really certain about portion sizes and things like that. So it's like, tell you what, give me a full hand of protein, like a hand-sized piece of protein with each meal. Do that. So, you know, it doesn't always have to be in that same fashion, but um, you can pick things that people find doable because most people aren't willing to track macros and don't really have all the skills that they would need. Don't want to learn them. Yeah. It's like, well, for nutrition, lowest hanging fruits would be how many meals are you eating? Um, how, how much time are you spending where you haven't eaten? And then how much protein are you having? Like those are the, mm-hmm. for somebody that's not willing to track, those are the three easiest things. Yeah. Should we move on to recovery now? Yeah, well, I think that's the so only thing left. The gym, nutrition, recovery. We made a funny a little statement there. I made a funny statement. I take full credit. <laughs> yeah, do it. Um, we we're talking about recovery. And like, just because you're comfortable doesn't mean that you're optimizing your recovery. Because I can play video games all night. And I wouldn't classify that as good recovery. It actually is, can be stressful depending on the game that I'm dived into. So just because you're comfortable at home watching Netflix and eating garbage doesn't mean that you're recovering properly. And it's crazy to me how how it like can be pulling teeth from some people to try to get them to sleep more than five hours or to just improve their sleep cycle. Like, don't drink any fluids like two hours before bed and uh, get off your cell phone. Like, put your cell phone in a different room. Like, get off of TikTok before bed. Like, all these little things that are, are essentially life hacks and we know it. But the comfort feels better than the recovery. It feels better to be on TikTok and pass out to Netflix with like your Coke and your chips closer to you than it does to avoid that crap and sleep properly. Well, like there's a book called Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. Yeah, I know that one. Savers. Oh, yeah. And he's like... That's a good one. he, He talks often about, you know, the most dysfunctional time in most people's day is the last hour and a half or two hours. Yeah. Like that's when they, they've got apart. no, no um, self-control left. That muscle's been used as much as it can that day. And that's when they're going to start snacking on things that just are just garbage and they're just eating because they're bored or, um, you know, they're sitting watching TV and they're doing things that aren't super productive. So he, his, his contention is that you should go to bed earlier and wake up ridiculously early, which doesn't work for me. I, I, I need my eight it. hours and I can't wake up that early, man. I've tried yeah, and it just doesn't feel great for me. So... You could do those things at night, though. That's safe. Yeah. We'll that's right. We'll yeah. Going. Like after the kids are in bed, that's kind of the stuff I do. Yeah. But the idea is avoid the behaviors that you know aren't helping you out. Yeah. And I think we can do that at night better. When we look at recovery, we're looking at sleep. We're looking at water. Nutrition's obviously a part of that. But Well, it's interesting he never did the... So let's go over this book you said you're talking about, The Miracle Morning. I think yeah. it's a valuable book, and I really like it. Mm-hmm. It has something in it that, it, what is it, an acronym called SAVERS? That's right. So it's basically SAVERS are, it wants you to do six things, 10 minutes each, one hour when you wake up. So you wake up and you do these six things. So you could do them before bed as well. And those six things, the SAVERS acronym is scribing, affirmations, visualization, exercise, exercise. and 
R is just rest. Maybe that's just a form of meditation. Yeah, I think it's recover. Like recover. Rest. Yeah. Yeah. And that's five. What's the sixth yeah. one? S. Like silence. Silence. Yeah, just be quiet. So that's ten minutes. So if you took an hour either in the morning or before bed, that's proper recovery. If you did those things. Yeah, well, and like I did my workout last night after the kids were in bed. I got all my work done earlier in the day, so I did my workout after they were in bed. And it was nice, man. It was it was just like kind of recover. Sarah's out with a friend. And that goes a long way. So I think there's things that can be taken out of that that, that make a lot of sense. Like find some time for silence. Find, find some time to actually focus on these little things. Like write down what happened today, what you want to do in the future. And I was looking back at goals that me and Sarah had written. They were on the back of our closet. And we had accomplished every single one of them on the list. And the only one that we didn't kind of had a mitigating reason why it didn't get done. Um, but that particular goal I accomplished through one of my athletes a couple, couple weeks ago. And um, it was competing internationally. And at the time when I wrote that, I was at the level where I could have gone and competed internationally. But I was busy and we just never, I never got to it before things started happening with my legs. So... Um, I just found it really interesting when I was looking back at that, how many things that we spent time thinking about and writing down, how much of it just went, just went the right way. It mm-hmm. came to fruition. So it's, um, I think it's a really good thing to actually just sit down, find some time to be quiet, find some time to write down where you're at and where you want to go. And, you know, at the end of the day, that creates a target for us. And if you don't have a target to shoot for, it's really hard to hit it. Yeah. So end of the day, when we start talking about analysis paralysis, this is something that we all deal with. And, I'm not saying that people don't have a lot of tasks. Anybody who has um, a job and kids and managing their own health and managing a household and all this sort of stuff, it adds up and I get that. Um, But the more we can recognize what's happening and take the small steps to take this kind of load off our plate, it it can be a really important thing. Like it, It does feel like a weight on your back. And recently I've been in a situation where I felt totally underwater is what I called it. Like I didn't feel like I could breathe. I had so much stuff to try to get done. And then as I started crossing things off the list, it was like, oh man, I think there might be light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's something that bears mentioning. You got any other stuff to say, Senator Berg? I have a lot to say, but it just keeps twirling in my brain. I think that was a, a good episode. Summarizing that, I think, you know, identifying your why, prioritizing, setting deadlines. Honestly, it's conscious thought, like taking the time to actually sit down and sort out your shit rather than just letting it twirl in your subconscious. It's a big one for me. And, uh, you know, when we talk about like the savers acronym, I like when I scribe at night, sometimes that's just like looking at my, my daily goals, weekly goals, monthly goals, translate it to yearly goals. If you actually have that clear picture, like you said, it makes a big difference. Totally. So anyways, if you guys enjoyed this episode or if you have anything to say, leave us a comment on the YouTubes. Um, like, subscribe, all that sort of stuff. Thanks for being here. Yes, we're professional YouTubers. Like and subscribe. Yeah. Do you like anything on YouTube, Curtis? Yeah, I do. Do you? Yeah. I don't. I had a few things that I subscribe to as well. I subscribe to stuff, but I don't ever hit the like button. So if you're like me, do us a favor and hit the like button. I hit my own like button. That's what I'll do. <laughs> <laughs>